morning. I'm so glad you guys could join us. The peace of the Lord be with you. We don't really have any real announcements this morning so much as, um, except to let you know, Pastor Rich, like I mentioned, is on vacation. He and Stacy have, and the boys have taken a much, much deserved time of rest and time to get away and be with family. And, and so we are going to be praying for their safety and continued safety and traveling mercies. Um, he will be back next week. So don't panic. Don't anybody panic, okay? Um, we, uh, I do want to remind you, though, that you can um, connect with us in a couple of different ways. We have some green cards in the back. You can drop those, fill it out, and drop it in the little offering box. Or you can connect with us online by going to livinghope.info forward slash connect. You have a message you need to get to the office, to one of the pastors. Or you... Um, have questions, comments, or criticisms after this morning, <laughs> whatever the case may be, um, you can connect that way. And also, in giving our offerings and, and those kinds of things, we can do that online. Um, you can put an envelope and drop it in the box in the back, or you can go to livinghope.info slash forward slash give and give online that way, like a lot of our folks do. This, this last week, as I was kind of ruminating through um, the scriptures for this morning, more and more scripture kept coming to mind. And I didn't, I don't usually um, preach messages that are as scripture heavy as they are today. Um, you'll notice in your handouts, there's poor Pastor Rich. I, I gave him a real big challenge in getting all of that to fit in there. <laughs> um, so I, I apologize that I did that. So, um, but there's just, as I, there's just so much there. There's so much richness in the passages that, that God brought to me. And I wanted to let them kind of speak for themselves more so than me speaking on behalf. <laughs> so this morning, the, passages I wanna, the passage I want to start with is found in Mark chapter 5. And it goes like this. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd had gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. And Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. Okay, I want to pause right here. Imagine this. This, this is kind of a story within a story in this passage, but... Here comes a leader of the Jewish community. He's a leader in the synagogue. He's like one of the pastors of the local church. Coming to Jesus, desperate to talk to him. Now there's already people around him, probably quite a few, but he comes to Jesus and he has this request. He falls at his feet pleading, Jesus, please come to my house. My daughter's dying and I know you can heal her. So Jesus is like, sure, let's go. And I can imagine that the people around them heard this, this guy saying, hey, can you come heal my daughter? And Jesus is like, all right, let's go. And they wanted to get in on it too. They wanted to see this. And so a bigger crowd kept building. Have you ever been in like a, a festival or a concert where the crowd just kind of gets packed tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter in? That's kind of the feeling or the picture I have in my head of what's happening I know I would have, if I had been in that crowd, I would have wanted to get as close to the action as I could. 
I would want to see what was going to happen. This was going to be awesome. <laughs> he was going to heal this little girl. And so, um, so they were pressing in on him, just shoulder to shoulder, front and back, and just, just this crowd, kind of this, like a rugby scrum, kind of moving along. If you don't know what rugby is, I'm sorry. Can't, can't help you. But they're, they're moving along the street, and uh, there's no space. Not, not only is there no personal space, there's just no space in around Jesus. So with that in mind, and, and kind of feeling that pressing in, I want to continue. Now, there was a woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she'd gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Sit right there for just a second. Immediately, 12 years of bleeding had stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd. Picture the crowd. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look, look at the crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? It's kind of like everybody's touched you, right? But he kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. So Jesus and his followers were on their way to Jairus' house to do a miraculous work in the life of his daughter. But suddenly they were interrupted on their way. This woman who had suffered for 12 years, been to every single doctor, probably went through every treatment known in that time. And, and we have so many more effective treatments, and yet sometimes we have to go through that too. We know people who have been sick with something. We don't know what it is. The doctors can't figure it out. And it goes on and on and on for years. But what we don't realize in our modern culture is that this woman's affliction meant something more. Because it involved her reproductive system and blood, she was considered unclean in her community. She would have had to live an isolated life, separated from her family, her husband, her neighbors, with no hope of being accepted back into the community until she stopped bleeding and then completed a cleansing ritual. Nothing had worked, and she had not only suffered this condition for 12 years, but she also suffered the isolation, the loneliness, and the despair that went with it. She was desperate, and she heard about this Jesus who was healing people. Something in her gut told her that he could heal her too. All she had to do was get close enough, just close enough, to touch his, his robes. He didn't need to talk to her. He didn't need to do anything to heal her. His power just was. And she somehow knew this. And all she needed was the most undetected of touches 
to be freed from the condition that had afflicted her for so long. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus, though, he knew when it happened. He said he felt the power go out from him. I, I, I kind of, I mean, this is not in the Bible. This is just my speculation. I kind of imagine it might have been like an electric shock that kind of, out of him. And he kind of stopped and went, okay, that was weird. What just happened? I felt power go out from me. Who touched me? And uh, when this woman acknowledged that she had been the one to touch him, he didn't scold her. She, now, rem remember, she was unclean. But Jesus didn't say, why, why did you touch me? You're unclean. Now I can't go to synagogue without going through a cleansing ritual. That was really rude. You didn't even ask. That's not what Jesus said, though, is it? He said, daughter. He called, it's a term of endearment that he used. She might have even been older than him. We don't know. But he used a term of endearment. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Now, this brief interruption brought about a miraculous result, but Jesus still needed to get to Jairus' house and heal his daughter. <clears throat> so back in their scriptures, it says, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let any of them go with him except Peter, James, and John. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw how much commotion and weeping and wailing was going on. He went inside and asked, what's all the commotion and the weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. Well, the crowd laughed at him. I mean, they were familiar with what death, death looked like. But he made them all leave, and he took the father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha koum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus, though, gave him strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. This is a little side note. If Jesus had just walked into my house and healed my daughter and raised her from the dead, I don't know who's going to tell me to be quiet. I don't know that I could. But he did, and we don't know for sure if they kept it quiet, but that was what Jesus asked them to do. But, so after this brief pause to heal this woman in the crowd, Jesus does what he had set out to do originally, and that was to heal Jairus' daughter. Jesus' perspective, though, in all of this was very different from that of the people gathered at the house. From where they were sitting, much like where we sit, the girl was dead and nothing could be done anymore. But Jesus knew otherwise, didn't he? From his perspective, her current state was temporary. What I find amazing here is that all Jesus does is tell the girl, get up. No magic formulas. No fancy prayers, no mumbo-jumbo, just a simple statement. Get up. And she did just that. Jairus had had to wait briefly for Jesus to heal his daughter. And it almost doesn't seem fair that the other woman had had to wait 12 years, and Jairus really only maybe a matter of hours. 
Yet the result was the same in the end. They were healed, right? Well, let's look at another situation where a miracle was needed, but it was delayed. In John 11, we find the story of a man named Lazarus, and he was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now, these people were not unknown to Jesus. This is the Mary and Martha where Martha comes in because her sister is sitting at Jesus' feet and says, you know, Jesus, could you tell her to help me? These were the same people. Jesus had spent time in their home. He had a relationship with them, okay? Your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Keep that in mind, four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. She didn't wait for him at her house. She walked out to meet him. Mary, though, stayed at the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you, only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God, you will give whatever you ask, that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus could have hurried over and healed Lazarus before he died. Mary and Martha were desperate. In that culture at that time, and I think we've talked about this before, a woman without a husband or a brother or a father to care for her didn't survive. And now he's dead and they're desperate. And, and Martha, you know, this, this is kind of a sanitized sense in here. These words don't really convey the emotion that Martha had carried with her when she said to Jesus, almost like she accused him, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. But Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. But Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever, 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 I'm adding the evers, just in, in case you didn't know, will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at a place, at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to go to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. <laughs> when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. And once again, we hear, Lord, if only you had been there, my brother would not have died. 
When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. I have a feeling there's a whole sermon just in that one sentence, but we won't do that today. I won't burden you with two whole sermons in one, in one Sunday morning. But <clears throat> where have you put him, he asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. This one gets me every time. Jesus knew what he was getting ready to do. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But this is Lazarus, who he loved. This was Lazarus, his friend, who had died. And still, Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Kind of accusing him, right? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the practical one, <laughs> the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, you know he's been dead four days. And uh, the smell is going to be really bad. It's been four days. And it's hot outside. It's going to stink. But Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you will see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, and I'm not going to yell at you, but he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. <laughs> I, <laughs> the dead man came out. His hands and feet bound in grave cloths, his face wrapped in a head cloth, and Jesus told them, Unwrap him and let him go. See, Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die. He knew he could heal him, but he had another plan in mind. He had waited two days before he even left to head back to Bethany. And imagine being Mary and Martha, believing that Jesus was who he said he was and could do the impossible, only to have Jesus delay. I think I would have felt a little betrayed by Jesus. In fact, Martha even lashes out that little bit, as we saw, stating that if Jesus had been there, he could have healed her brother. Mary does also. They knew if Jesus had come, their brother would still be alive. When they get to the tomb and Jesus orders it to be opened, they were a little concerned because they knew the state that Lazarus would be in. And as soon as it opened, though, Jesus tells Lazarus, he orders Lazarus with a loud voice. He shouts to Lazarus to come out. And that's exactly what he did. Again, no fancy prayers, no magic formulas, no big ceremonies, no, just a simple Lazarus, come out. The power in those two words, because Jesus spoke them, is, is just mind-boggling to me. And in spite of waiting those extra days, Jesus still answered the prayers of Mary and Martha. Now, we've seen three examples of Jesus answering the prayers or needs of people who had no one else to turn to. There was nowhere else to go to. The woman with the issue of blood, who was healed immediately upon touching Jesus, but not until she had suffered for 12 years. 
Jairus, who had a brief wait while Jesus paused to heal the woman, or to speak to the woman who'd been healed. And then Lazarus, who he raised from the dead after being in the tomb for four days. All of these amazing examples of the way God, in his power, answers prayer. But I want to look at just one more person who waited to see the promises God made to him fulfilled. In Hebrews, we read about Abraham. And this is the same guy that Pastor Rich talked about last week. And I'm not going to read the whole passage that's in your handout. But in chapter 11, it tells us this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later... Sorry, the, Linda's back there doing slides, and I forgot to tell her this. So sorry. By faith, Abraham, who called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, well past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. What's different about this situation with Abraham is that God had made a promise, a covenant with Abraham, that he would make him the father of a great nation with offspring too numerous to, to count. For a man that only had one child with his wife Sarah and perhaps only ever seeing his grandchildren Esau and Jacob, and we're not even sure of that, I can't help but wonder if Abraham might have questioned that the promise at the end of his uh, questioned that promise at the end of his life. I wouldn't blame, if, blame him if he did, to be honest. God had told him he would be the father of great nations, not a grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-great-great-great-great, but a father of many nations, yet he only had one son. But this passage indicates that though he might have been a bit dysfunctional, as Pastor Rich mentioned last week, Abraham still looked forward to the time when God's promise to him would be fulfilled. And what this tells me is that there may be things I'm praying for, maybe things you're praying for, that God has promised that we might not see happen. But God is faithful and do what he has promised at the right time, not necessarily in our time. And as I was reading through these lectionary passages this week and this morning, or for this morning, and that's where we found our first two stories, the stories of the woman and the story of Jairus and his daughter, it dawned on me that other than the story of Abraham we're sharing, all of these people, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, all of them would have been familiar with the psalm that we're going to look at today. I wonder if they prayed this psalm at some point in their story. Did the woman with the bleeding pray this over the 12 years she had been isolated and lonely, an outcast because she was considered unclean? 
Did Jarius recite it while his daughter became more and more ill and then appeared to be dying? Did Lazarus and his sisters cry out to the Lord using these very words? And they're very good words when we are in need and desperate to hear from God. And they're from Psalm 130. And they say this. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, folks, put your hope back in the Lord. For the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Now, this isn't the only psalm that cries out to God like this, cries out to God in desperation. And these, but these psalms, what they do is they help put into words the cry of our hearts. When, when, we, when we're stuck on the side of the road with a flat tire or, you know, our car broke down. I, I know it's happened to me more than once. I'm sure it's happened to probably everybody in here at some point. We can be a little desperate, depending on if our, the situation we're in is safe even. It can be something as simple as being broke down on the side of the road or something as big as praying for the healing and resurrection, seeming resurrection of our loved ones. These psalms put into words the desperate cries of our heart. When we need God to move mightily, mightily or unusually in our lives and in our circumstances. Now you might have been praying about a situation. Praying about a burden that you have. You can be assured that God has heard your prayers. Not just heard in the past tense, but he is hearing your prayers the prayers you've prayed before, the prayers you're going to pray in the future, he is already currently hearing your prayers. Not just heard, hearing. Sometimes, though, it seems like he hasn't heard them, isn't listening, or just doesn't care about the situation that we're praying about. But keep in mind the woman with the bleeding condition. She waited 12 years for healing. Jarius had to wait for Jesus to stop and heal that woman. Lazarus and his sisters waited until Jesus knew the timing was going to be right. And Abraham never saw the promise from God fulfilled in his lifetime. But we know from reading these scriptures that God does listen. God does hear. He does answer. And we can trust that even though sometimes his answer doesn't look the way we want it to look. Sometimes we have to go through the situation. We have to go through the circumstance, trusting that God is hearing us and will do what he intends to do at just the right time. Sometimes we won't see the end result, but God is still answering your prayers and fulfilling his promises. This morning, I really hope that you'll go away from here Encouraged to keep praying for whatever it is you're praying for. 
And if there's nothing really heavy that you're praying for right now, keep these words tucked away. Because as we all know, at some point, we're going to need them. Things will happen. Life will happen. Stuff will happen. And when these words are hidden in our minds and in our hearts, we can draw on them. But keep trusting that God is going to do what he has promised he will do. And I hope, I hope, you've not determined to give up praying and seeking God to answer your prayers. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this good word that you've given this morning. Lord, this is not what I would have preached if it was up to me, but Lord, you have put this on my heart over a number of days, and I just pray that your word will not go out void, that Lord, it will speak to someone, even just one person, who is facing a difficulty they never anticipated, who maybe isn't facing it now, Lord, but will in the future. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful to fulfill your promises. You are faithful to answer our prayers. And you are God, and you know exactly how those prayers need to be answered. Lord, as we prepare for communion, I thank you for the redemptive work that your son did for us on the cross. I thank you, Lord, for the body and for the blood that makes it possible for us to be able to have a friendship a relationship with you, to be in right relationship regardless of anything else that has happened in our past. Lord, I pray that you will bless that time. Bless the remainder of anything and everything that will happen in this service. We give you all the glory. Now join me in praying, praying the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Those of you at home have a moment to gather your elements and join us as we partake. We're now invited to this table. In the name of the one who said, I am the bread of life. This is the table of our Lord Jesus Christ and it's here that we remember how he gave his body and his blood to save us. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and ever, after giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, and do this in remembrance of me, the bread of life, Jesus' body, broken for you. And after supper, Jesus took the cup of wine, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, remember me, the blood of Christ that was shed for you. And now we have come to the Lord's table. We have eaten the bread of heaven. The Holy Spirit will transform us from within so that we can see with Jesus' eyes, 
Hear with Jesus' ears. Speak with Jesus' mouth. Feel the world as Jesus feels. To taste and see that the Lord is good. And now go, nourished in the bread of life. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Amen.